Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. If you would turn in your Bibles, and yes, Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you or if you have a pew Bible in front of you, if you would turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. We have a half of the chapter in, printed in the bulletin, but I am a later point in the message, I'm going to pick up on a few of the verses from the first half of the chapter. So I'd like for you to have that whole chapter before you. As you're turning, as you're finding your place there in God's holy and inerrant Word, I want you to imagine with me a couple of scenarios. One might be easier for you than the other. Imagine being at an intersection, or maybe, as I mentioned this morning, maybe, maybe better put, uh, in the parking lot of Food Line, or maybe even better in the parking lot of Target. And you're, you're there, and you look down, and you see a car coming down one aisle, and then you look, and you see another car coming this way, and you know what's about to happen. You are a prophet. You can see the future. And what is the future? Those cars crash. Or, or maybe it would be easier for you uh, if you're a parent, Uh, And you can remember these sort of things. Maybe they happen on a daily basis. You've got a toddler. The toddler's in the living room. The toddler's toddling. Uh, The toddler sees toys. The toddler sees the toy that she wants and she goes after it. And you also have a little doggie. And the little doggie's all excited because he sees that your little daughter is excited and going for that toy. And the dog and the little toddler collide and crash. Now you saw it uh, as if it had already happened, right? Like a prophet, you knew what was going to happen. You knew you was going to have to scoop up that little precious one and wipe away a couple of tears. We oftentimes can see what's ahead. And my suspicion is if you've been paying attention to our series in 2 Samuel, particularly over the past few weeks, you know what's about to happen. Give your attention to the reading of God's Word, beginning with verse 23. After two full years, really slow that down, after two full years, and that's the way the author intends for us to read it, after two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And that's basically anywhere from 4 to 11 miles, give or take, north of Jerusalem. Near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons 
And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. But Absalom pressed him, but he wouldn't, wouldn't go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, Well, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark, mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Don't fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. Be valiant and murder. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. And all chaos erupts, right? Notice what happens next. Then all the king's sons arose. Why? Because they think they may be next. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. Now while they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and he tore his garments and he lay on the earth and all of his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they've killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For the command of Absalom has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said. So it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all of his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ahem, uh, Ammahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. You saw that coming, didn't you? You saw that coming. Last week, as we talked about the retributive justice of God, we, we thought about how uh, so often in, in the lives of human beings that their sins are, are judged, they're punished by, the very, by their very own sins or maybe the sins of others that are like theirs. We, we know that biblical principle that you reap what you what? So, And if Amnon's horrific sin against his uh, sister, half-sister Tamar, was a part 
of David's reaping what he had sown in his sins of adultery and abusing his royal power with Bathsheba, then you know there's something else likely to happen. Because David's sin, spelled out for us in chapter 12, didn't merely include his adultery with Bathsheba, his taking her, using royal prerogative, taking another man's wife, but his sin kept growing to the point that he did what? He had his citizen, he had his faithful soldier, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, what? Murdered. And if you reap what you sow, and oftentimes in the manner that you've sown, there's another shoe to drop. And what is that shoe? Absalom would have Amnon murdered for what he had done to Tamar. Now last week our focus was on the principles that we find in the first half of chapter 13 and the lessons we can draw from those principles. This week I want us to focus instead upon people. Three people. I don't want us to focus on Amnon. We've spent enough time with Amnon. I really don't want us to focus on Tamar. Just recognize Tamar has not been vindicated. She has not received human justice. She is languishing in the house of her brother Absalom. But the three people I do want us to look at are Jonadab, Absalom, and David. And as we do, I'm mindful of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writing about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. He wrote the following. Now these things took place as examples for us. The wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness and their grumblings and their sins. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Well, let me, let me direct your attention to three other sinners from the Old Testament. And I want us to focus on them. And them who are placed before us in this chapter as negative examples of, of those things that we shouldn't do, those things we shouldn't think, those words that we shouldn't say, the way of living that we shouldn't live. That we might not desire evil and instead look to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's begin. Jonadab. Jonadab. And when we look at him, let the crafty beware and the godly be aware of the crafty. Let the crafty beware and the godly be aware of the crafty. Now Jonadab shows up in our reading today in verse 32. And we've already met him. We're meeting him again. And this time in chapter 13, verse 32, we see him coming and making sure that David knows not all your sons have been killed, only one. Now you wonder, how did he know? If he's, if he's with David and he's not up in Ephraim, if he's not at the, at the sheep shearer's uh, place, how did he know? Had he been advising and abetting Absalom? Had he been now going from Amnon to Absalom and pitting one cousin against another cousin? 
How did he know? Was he playing one of them off upon the other? We aren't sure. But we certainly see how crafty he is and how he talks to the king. Now to get a fuller picture of his craftiness, go back to the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Remember the way the author is using these words is not the way we as believers should be loving. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was, and again, underline friend, not the sort of friend you really want. So Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a, your translation might say, a very wise man. You could translate it that way. The ESV, I think, does a really good job by saying he was a very crafty man. But if you translate it wisdom, it's not the wisdom of the Lord that we're talking about here. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. John, John and Ab said to him, well, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. In Jonadab we find, I think, the poster child for what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. He, he said, don't be deceived. Bad company does what? Ruins Good morals. Well, with Amnon, we don't even have good morals, do we? Obstensibly, we don't even have good morals. We have perversion. And now we're going to couple his perversion with the craftiness of Jonadab. And in so doing, it's going to be doubly bad. No, with Amnon and Jonadab, we have a pair, and we have one with perverted lust, and we have another with the wiles to aid and abet that perversion. Eugene Peterson quipped, the world is full of people like this, eager to put their wits to the service of other people's sins. The world is full of people like Jonadab, who are crafty, they're smart, they can figure things out. They can scheme. And they are all ready to use those wits, those schemes, those ideas to further someone's sin. In the character of Jonadab, there are two lessons or two warnings at least. The first one is a warning that any loving parent wants to give to their child. And children, pay attention. And adults, you do as well. Be careful in the friends you choose. Be careful in the friends you choose. Some friends will be fellow pilgrims. 
on the way to the celestial city. Fellow pilgrims who will, yes, be broken, yes, not be perfect, yes, be sinners, but they will help you along the way as you seek to help them. Right? Some people will be fellow pilgrims on the way to the celestial city, but others could be, they could call themselves friends, you might think they're great friends, but they are friends who will open the door to a perverted bed, and that door is an open door to the lake of fire. Who are you listening to? Children, adults, who are you listening to? What are they saying? What are they saying in your ears? How are they using their wits and their words? To bless or to open a door for you to fall through further and further into your sin? The second lesson or warning Calvin understood well. Calvin, John Calvin wrote, Jonadab was a prudent, that is a, a witty, a worldly wise man. And he forgot himself as to be a pimp for his male cousin, disgrace his female cousin, and be disloyal to his uncle the king. And all of that, Calvin says, warns us to pray that if God has given us some prudence. That is, if God has given you a mind with some wit, pray that He would also add to that wit integrity and sincerity so we may keep ourselves from craftiness. Maybe your temptation isn't perverted lust. Maybe it's to use your wits to help others. Beware of the Jonadabs out there. But also beware and be aware that the Jonadab could be in here. What are you saying to somebody else? What are you saying to your friends? How are you encouraging them. How are you influencing them? Are you influencing them in such a way that they fall further and further and further and further into sin? Examine your own heart and beware that there are Jonadabs out there and in here. Absalom. Jonadab, now let's think about Absalom for a bit. Let the vengeful beware and the godly be aware of the vengeful. Now when we come to Absalom in this chapter, my mind goes to the book of Romans. My mind goes to uh, Paul speaking in the book of Romans in chapter 12. And in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, Paul says this to Christians. He says, Bless those who persecute you and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Not feed him to murder him, but feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will eat burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Absalom is not heeding the word that would come much later through the pen of the Apostle Paul. But David's inaction, notice, gave space for Absalom, who had basically taken his sister in, basically had said, it's okay, be quiet, stop shouting in the streets, stop doing that, you're making a scene, come on in, we're going, we're going to handle this, this is a family affair. You know, that's how sometimes things are handled. Shh, we'll, we'll handle this as a family. He brought her in and he waited. He waited for his father to what? Do something as king. And he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And David's inaction then allows Absalom's anger to, to, to burn. It smolders. And it turns into calculating rage. Tamar had been shamed. Absalom had been shamed. Amnon would pay. And if dad wouldn't do it, he would. And he did. But now, let's not move too quickly to David. Let's remain a bit with Absalom. Absalom will wait for two years. Notice, not two years of going to the, to the, the door of David's throne room and knocking, Father, 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 remember Tamar. Vindicate your daughter Tamar. Father, do something. Do something against Amnon. We're not told that. We're not told that he went repeatedly seeking for justice. No. No. He waited for two years. Waiting on the lawful government to render justice. And he brooded. And he planned. And he's like a cat. You've seen a cat. Cats got to pray over there and they just, they're steady, they're still, they wait and they wait and they wait and then they do what? Pounce. That's Absalom. Now we understand his, his rage, but notice how he, he works it out. He seems to care nothing for the sovereignty of God. He's going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to trick and use his father, David. Once again, David's going to be used. He's going to throw a feast. Get that. What had Amnon done? Did? What did he do? He asked for a meal to be made for him. He's, he, he throws a feast. And when Amnon has drinking that third or fourth or fifth or sixth goblet of wine, he's going to nod. And his men are going to do the deed. We understand his rage, but we're somewhat shocked by his actions, right? Oh, we'd never do such a thing. 
No, no, no. We, ne we never would act as if the, we were the official judge. No, we would never, we would never literally execute somebody, would we? But how often have you at least thought of such vengeance? How often have you been wronged or shamed or somebody that you love has been wronged or shamed? And what happens in your mind? You burn with rage. What thoughts go through your mind? Murderous thoughts. Do, do, you, do you seek rightful justice or do you seek an opportunity to run somebody down? To tear them down? To get your piece of flesh some way or another? Ralph Davis cuts to the chase. He says simply, we share Absalom's nature whether or not we duplicate his deed. We share his nature whether or not we duplicate his deed. Christians, beware, there are Absaloms out there. Christians, be aware, the Absalom could be in here. It could be you. Jonadab, Absalom, David. Let the negligent beware and the godly be aware of the negligent. What's fascinating to me is uh, when I was looking at Romans chapter 12 and, and Paul telling Christians not to take vengeance in your own hands, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That he follows that up with chapter 13. And in chapter 13, notice and hear what he writes. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. And notice how Paul ends this little section. For he is the servant of God... An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. David was that God-appointed authority in Jerusalem and in Israel. But does David rightfully use the sword? No. David's failure as king to pursue justice, David's failure as king and father to pursue Tamar's vindication and Amnon's punishment, notice that inaction gave Absalom an opportunity to brood and an opportunity to take matters into his own hands and sin. 
a failure to pursue justice doesn't merely fail to produce justice. It promotes further injustice. A failure to pursue justice doesn't merely fail to produce justice. It promotes and produces further injustice. And that's a lesson for all those who find themselves in a place of authority. Parents, that includes you. Church leaders, that includes us. Civil authorities, that includes them. Inaction gives birth to sinful actions in others. Yes, the Absaloms of the world are culpable. They are guilty of their own sins. But so are those who should justly bear the sword, who never pull the sword out of the sheath. We must hear this. We must let it sink in. It must lead us to humbly confess our own sins and to pound humbly and honestly the doors of those in just authority crying out that they would pursue godly justice in whatever circumstances are under their authority. To faithfully, to diligently pursue justice on behalf of the wronged. Those wronged might be children in the womb. Those wrong could be, a, could, be, could be poor young ladies who are taken advantage of by a wealthy person and that wealthy person never held to account. It could be the person who has spent all their life building up their little mom and pop business that then gets ransacked and torn down and burned in riots. And it could be that neglected senior in a nursing home. Great David has become a pathetic man. He's never going to be the same from here on. Well, he is. He's better now. His spirit is perfectly right But through the rest of 2 Samuel, he's not going to be the same. He's a man of anger, but not a man of justice. Well, once he had done, as we're told in chapter 8, what was just and right for his people, in chapter 13, he cannot even do what is just and what is right for his own daughter. He's He's frozen. And in his inability, he gives room for more and more sin. 
And that inability is tied back to his own sins. Yes, he had been forgiven, but brothers and sisters, his failures led him to a place he was no longer able to govern justly. Sin, yes, is forgiven in Christ. Praise the Lord. But sin can have long-term effects in our lives and the lives of others. It's interesting how the biblical character David looms large in the minds of so many, and I understand that. He looms large. He's the great psalmist. Man, after God's own heart. And, and, and many in the church and outside the church think of him as this amazing hero. Just think of Michelangelo and his statue of the person who's supposed to be David. If you've seen it, that's the idealized, flawless man. Yet the biblical writers never paint, they never sculpt, they never depict our fallen human heroes as flawless. Far from it. What do we get from them? We get depictions, real life depictions. We get depictions of our biblical heroes, warts and all. Why? Because we're not to place our faith in these biblical heroes. These biblical heroes are shown to us to lead us to the only one who is flawless. To lead us to the spotless Lamb of God, the flawless Lamb of God that we so desperately need. Not Jonadab, not Absalom, not a David. We need Jesus. We need that one who's the true and faithful friend who will never lead us astray like Jonadab. We need the one who didn't take vengeance into his own hands, but rather, what did he do? Allowed himself to bear the just penalty for our sins, brothers and sisters, on the cross. We need the Jesus that's not Jonadab. We need the Jesus that's, that's not Absalom. And we need the Jesus that's not David. We need the Jesus, the great King, who will render justice. One day, He will return and He will right every wrong. And Tamar will not have to remain in the basement of her brother's house. She will be vindicated. And all believers who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ will be vindicated. And justice will roll. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ. Until that day, as you walk through your valley of darkness, look to Jesus. Look to Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Father,
you have given us in this word hard stories. You don't sugarcoat things. You reflect the darkness of this fallen world in the darkness of these stories. And as we read them, O Lord, enable us by Your Spirit to see in these fallen human characters our own weaknesses, our own frailties, our own sins, that we might cry out for forgiveness and that we might look not to the Jonadabs or the Absaloms or the Davids of the world, but that we would look to Jesus to be our Savior. And then, O Lord, enable us to live as the disciples of Jesus, seeking to do that which is right, seeking to pursue justice, seeking to show mercy, seeking to proclaim the love of the One who now extends His offer, His gospel of grace to all, but who will one day return and render perfect justice. Until that day, walk with your people, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.